Content warning, ableism, lobotomy, sexual assault, and double standards. Action! Excitement! Horror! Mads! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Jaunting is like seeing. It is a natural aptitude of almost every human organism, but it can only be developed by training and experience. You mean we couldn't see without practice? Obviously, you're either unmarried or have no children, preferably both. I don't understand. Anyone who's observed an infant learning to use his eyes would. But what is teleportation? The transportation of oneself from one locality to another by an effort of the mind alone. You mean we can think ourselves from, say, New York to Chicago? Precisely. Would we arrive naked? If you started naked. I mean, would our clothes teleport with us? When people teleport, they also teleport the clothes they wear and whatever they are strong enough to carry. I hate to disappoint you, but even ladies' clothes would arrive with them. But how do we do it? How do we think? With our minds? And how does the mind think? What is the thinking process? Exactly how do we remember, imagine, deduce, create? Exactly how do the brain cells operate? I don't know. Nobody knows. And nobody knows exactly how we teleport either. But we know we can do it, just as we know that we can think. Have you ever heard of Descartes? He said, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. We say, cogito ergo jauntio. I think, therefore I jaunt. Alfred Bester was a lifelong New Yorker and PR flack turned writer after World War II. He wrote for comic books, creating the villain Solomon Grundy and the famous Green Lantern Oath. He even married Lois Lane, or at least the actress, Raleigh Gulko, who played her on the Superman's radio series. His first novel, The Demolished Man, won the very first Hugo Award in 1953. But his third novel, The Star's My Destination, sometime published under the name Tiger Tiger, is even more acclaimed, regularly turning up on lists of best all-time sci-fi, and considered a forerunner of cyberpunk. But after its publication in 1956, Bester didn't write another novel for almost two decades, and very little fiction at all. It's a strange legacy for a writer who was wildly ahead of his time. Hello, welcome to What Mad Universe. I'm Adam Prosser, and with me is Philip Rice. Hi. And uh, yeah, today we're looking at a book. Uh, as we said, it's been published under the name Tiger Tiger, but uh, I, we, we, Phil and I were disagreeing on this. I like, I like the title, The Star's My Destination. And Phil... I, I think it's a fine title, but it's just, it could apply to almost anything. <laughs> um, and I was saying that before I had finished uh, the book, so it, it makes a little more sense at the end. Right. Uh, but it's, I still prefer Tiger Tiger. Yeah. And uh, in the, um, 
introduction uh, uh, to my copy, Neil Gaiman uh, wrote the introduction, and he said he preferred the title Tiger Tiger as well. Yeah. Well, he he read it under the name Tiger Tiger. Yeah. I think it's always you 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 like what you read, what name you read it under, basically. Well, I read it under Stars My Destination, <laughs> and I prefer Tiger Tiger. Fair so. enough. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's it. I mean, it, it it obviously does apply. But of course, Tiger Tiger uh, is a reference to the William Blake poem Tiger Tiger. Yeah, which bright. is quoted at the beginning of the book. Right, and um, that doesn't necessarily clue you into the fact that it's a science fiction novel, though, uh, which might be why they chose the other title. Uh, yeah, no, it stars my destination is a good title, but it's it just it's a little like I said, generic. Uh, sure. Like it was used. Uh, later as a reference to this and as the title of an arc in Starman from James Robinson. So right. the fact that it can be used for, you know, comic book superhero and <laughs> and this book, which is not that, despite the right. fact that Bester did write comics, right. is just sort of... Well, hey, yeah. there's a there's an issue of Sandman called A Tale of Two Cities, so, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. they, can, they, can, they can reuse the title all they want. But, I mean, there's a, there's a rhyme in the, uh, in the book... Uh, Gully Foil is my name, and Terra is my nation. Deep Space is my dwelling space, and Death's my destination. And he keeps saying it as death uh, rather than the stars until the very end. Then mm -hmm. he says the stars my destination. Um, yeah, and I, I did come across, uh, Bester didn't actually come up with the phrase stars my destination. Mm -hmm. It actually uh, originated with uh, Jack Parsons. Uh, oh, Jack Parsons Yeah, again. who we discussed in the last Whoa, episode. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, he was, of course, a uh, uh, father of modern rocketry and a uh, occultist who was right. under the tutelage of uh, uh, Aleister Crowley. Uh, he wrote in uh, 1943, Rocketry may not be my true will, but it's one hell of a powerful drive. With the lemma as my goal and the stars my destination and my home, I have set my eyes on high. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. That's neat. Yeah, last uh, last week we were talking about uh, Crow uh, Alistair Crowley and Jack Parsons came up briefly, but that's really interesting. So there's a whole link. Between yeah, I, I didn't about. I didn't know that till I checked Wikipedia after finishing it. So huh. wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so there you go. It's got uh, it's got that tie in. But um, I know this is a very influential novel, and Bester is sort of he's kind of outsized figure for what he did because he um, he basically never wrote. Uh, well, he wrote. Um, he wrote uh, a bunch of short stories. He wrote a novel called The Demolished Man, which, as I said, won uh, the first Hugo. Uh, there's another novel, which I, did, I hadn't even heard of before I started doing the research here, called uh, Who He. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is uh, hilarious because it sounds like something you'd put on in a new phone, right? Mm. Who dis? Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was, uh, and then he published The Stars of My Destination. It sort of sounds like something Gully Foyle would say. It does, actually, yes. And uh, then he didn't publish much for like two decades after that. Uh, he did write a few short stories after that, but they kind of tapered off. So considering the amount of, you know, acclaim he was getting even at the time and how much of an impact this book has had, it's kind of interesting. He, he started doing travel, he basically moved overseas. He started doing travel writing uh, and he didn't, he finally came back in the seventies and started doing some more science fiction. And, you know, he, people don't generally feel his books at that period were as great, um, but I haven't read them. And then he, uh, I believe he died in the eighties um, sometime. Mm -hmm. So um, 87, I think. So it's a, it's a very interesting. So he only has a couple of books and stories that are the basis of his reputation. I mean, 
other writers have written less, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, J.D. Salinger wrote one. So. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, so did uh, Harper Lee, I guess. Yeah. She only wrote one. Well, two, but one was, wasn't released. And... Oh, okay. Oh, right. Well, uh, some... Not not to get way off topic, but some say that was actually just a first draft of uh, yeah, yeah, that's Kill, what I've heard. Yeah, yeah To Kill a Mockingbird, and they 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 adapted. But um, anyway, um, so this book is very it's 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 a short book, but it's full of ideas. Oh yeah, it's packed. Um, uh, this is sort of uh, in some ways a companion to the Nova uh, episode we did because mm-hmm. it's similar in a lot of ways. I found and um. This was from uh, 1956, so it predates the new wave by a lot. But it, you can see a lot of the new wave in it, as you, as you were telling me before we started. Yeah, it it feels like you know the new wave is sort of fixed to the mid 60s. This is 10 years earlier, and it feels, but it feels like a new wave book. It feels similar to Nova in some ways. It feels similar to the kind of stuff you'd see in um, Dangerous Visions. Uh, it's just got a very. It, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is but it's got a very trippy surreal feel i mean it's of course uh, in i think the world war ii era immediately before and then immediately after there was sort of a a big focus on hard sci-fi on you know oh you have to understand you have to try to map out what the future is going to be like and then understand how it would impact people um and then as the stuff that we've read that was set in the 50s including uh, the titular book that gave the podcaster its name and stuff like a Lone Star Planet. There's kind of a wry, detached feel to it. It's kind of it's witty. Mm-hmm. It's you know when it's well written. Of course, yeah. I'm sure there was lots of garbage pulp at that time as well. But there's sort of a detached, intellectual feeling to it. And this is a bit more emotional and 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 yeah, it it, it paints an imaginative picture. Uh, and 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 it doesn't try to convince you that it's a realistic look at the future. Yeah, I mean the the basic thing that sets the the world apart is that people can teleport just with their minds right and uh, and he does to a certain extent think through oh how that affects society oh yeah uh, i mean it, it <clears throat> but the, the initial sort of catalyst that changes society is something mm-hmm. that is well maybe not in, yeah it's yeah. impossible Let's yeah i mean that. it's effectively and it's it is interesting how again i'm saying that 50 sci-fi it's very quote hard sci-fi but this this is very much a a Fordian phenomena almost. It's the kind of, oh, we have mental secret mental powers if we could learn how to use them properly. Mm-hmm. Because this is literally just, it's discovered far in the future, um, like the yeah, there's already years in the future. There's already people on other planets at this point. But it's it's impl- it's basically said, oh yeah, this was an ability we've always had, but we only stumbled onto it under research conditions under by, by complete luck because they weren't even looking for it, of course. Mm-hmm. A guy basically set himself on fire and which is yeah a guy named charles fort jaunt and uh teleporting is named jaunting after him (laughs) yes which has been used in other things apparently oh yeah like well stephen king had a story called the long jaunt okay uh, which is 100 percent a reference to this he likes to do that yeah apparently the tomorrow people the british show yep uh, it's called good... teleporting jaunting and mm-hmm. other things. Yeah, it's a good name for teleporting. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like tele. It sounds like moving from one place to another. Yeah, yeah. Well, it. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the classical world word of the classical meaning of jaunt is. Well, I'm going out for a jaunt. You know, like oh, it's yeah, just yeah. to go out for a quick trip, sort of thing. So I think that's that's why they're using that title. But yeah, he has it. He pins it to a specific uh, person's name, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the setup for the the story, which is it's this world where people can 
people have managed to train their minds to just leap uh, different and distances. Anybody can do it unless oh they you have to be able to uh, uh, visualize where you, know where you're going, know where you are, mm-hmm. and visualize both. Right. So uh, it can be confused by mazes and things. Right. So uh, a lot of uh, buildings have sort of difficult passageways to get in. Right. So, They're uh, entry entry labyrinths. Yeah, to confuse uh, the people into not being able to jaunt in. Uh, you can only jaunt uh, uh, supposedly limited distances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked people are classed by, you know, your V-class if you can go five miles and your yeah. C-class if you can go 100 miles. And, and, and also, uh, uh, so blind people can't jaunt because they can't visualize it. Right. That's a plot point, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. And, uh, and being held in darkness will prevent people from jaunting, which yeah. is significant. And uh, also uh, uh, mental impairments, say being knocked on the head or uh, yeah. lobotomized is, is what how they deal with uh, uh, recidivative uh, criminals. Right. Uh, but uh, there's a prison in the story that's just a confusing maze and... Um, well, and it's, it's also kept dark all yeah, the time, basically. and it's uh, considered jaunt-proof, right. uh, escape-proof, but they managed to get out anyway. Right. Um, yeah, no, the, yeah, it, it's, um, at one point he attacks someone and injures the jaunt centers of his brain by mm-hmm. punching him, which is a little bit silly that he knows exactly what part of the head to punch. Well, to he's get trained him. at that point. <laughs> yeah, true, but I mean, like, I'm going to disfigure your brain in, in, in this exact point by punching you is kind of a bit silly. I think you could be that precise. But. Well, he's got super speed powers at that point. Yeah, so. yeah, he does. So, it's, yeah. It's a bit silly on its own. Yeah, and there's all kinds of things that spin uh, out of the jaunting, and then the other thing is that the rich because you're rich, you don't have to jaunt. So you, all other methods of transportation are used only by the rich. Yeah, because it's it's the uh, oh I, I can't remember the phrase off the top of my head, but it's uh, uh, conspicuous uh, transport. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it, it's the idea that uh, uh, say you, you drive around in a car, mm-hmm. even though nobody else has to, but it's precisely because you don't have to and so you can afford this obsolete uh, right. uh, method of transportation yeah a- and other methods which require manpower like uh trains and things like right. it's just uh an ostentatious show of wealth that you can just afford to not do the convenient thing right exactly at one point uh somebody travels by shooting being shot out of a cannon yeah <laughs> just as a, he takes an if i recall correctly it's a seaplane that lands lets out a barge that brings a cannon to shore and then fires him out of a cannon yeah and at that, parties that they, they the rich uh, try to show them or show up each other by right. coming up with more and more ludicrous ways to show up right and then there's the um, and the rich are uh, they're they're sort of pseudo royalty and it's kind of a, a crack on capitalism because the 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 royal houses are all named after uh, companies of the era when he was when he was writing so there's you know the Kodak uh, the House Kodak and House uh, Greyhound at one point yeah. and House Heinz uh, uh, Heinz uh, whose symbol is the fifty seven <laughs> yeah and, and Rolls Royce and the yeah Royces or yeah, as on RRR yeah. as their symbol, which is, and of course... So know, that's their, their, like, royal seal or whatever. Right. And the main, sort of, the significant house to the story is the Prestain house, who controls uh, shipping, I believe, like, interstell- inter- yeah. interplanetary shipping, uh, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, the character uh, Prestain, who 
doesn't want to be called Mr. Prestain because there's lots of Mr. Prestains, but he, he's the head of the house, so he's just Prestain. Right. So he'll yell at people who call him Mr. Prestain. Yeah. The leader, the the head of the household is always known as blank of blank. So he's Prestain of Prestain. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, so it's, he never quite says that it's monarchy, but it's basically become monarchy all over again, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very much, I, I mean, this is, uh, Part of the cyberpunk thing, the idea of mega corporations that are practically governments in of, them, in of themselves. Right. Yeah. There's a few. Ele- it is very interesting that you're reading this book from 1950. And we've talked about this before. We talked about Nova. We talked about uh, 10 billion days and 100 billion nights, which were all were both written in the 60s, and they have a bit of a cyberpunk feel. And decades uh, before we would. And Napoleon cyberpunk. of Notting Hill has some elements. <laughs> yeah. E- even though that's a bit of a stretch but yeah well yeah in the social engineering yeah. aspects of it for sure and uh but this yeah this definitely you're reading it and you're going wow this is <laughs> this yeah. field that has that same sort of berserk uh imagination that you associate with and also uh, some specific tropes like uh transhumanism uh mm-hmm. gully foil updates or upgrades his body with mechanical parts and stuff right. and uh gives himself uh access to super speed like he's moving at uh everybody else is moving in slow motion right one point he knocks people over and he can sort of see them just paused midair as he's moving around them yeah yeah and he and also just the way societies as we already said with the capitalist uh, monarchies and but and then uh, there's my favorite is the scientific people who are basically a cargo cult uh made up of uh shipwrecked scientists in the asteroid belt uh so and they've they've become you know obsessed with you know the scientific but method, but they don't understand it. They yeah, just, they say things like "quant suff" for <laughs> quantity sufficient, and that's like that's how they that's their benediction kind of. And yeah, and, and, and they tattoo themselves with uh, uh, like formulas and things. Right. They put their name. They always have a uh, like a, a male or female symbol in their name. Yeah, the, the Mars or Venus symbol uh, to indicate their gender, and that gets tattooed on their their and face as well. They were talking about. Uh, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but uh, uh, they they pair up to get the best genetic matches. So they have right. uh, marriages that are very short, you know, so just so they can reproduce, and then right. uh, the man marries somebody else. Yeah, when the hero gets roped in, he's it's you know he's he's forced to marry someone, but it's because he's new genetic material which they need, or they'd become horribly inbred, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, and, we're and they say have- things like. Yes, very scientific. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, ah, most scientific, yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, they're the ones, uh, okay, so we should probably talk about the plot. Right. So the plot is effectively, um, the, it's uh, the Count of Monte Cristo in outer space, yeah. basically. Um, uh, he said, um, Bester apparently, uh, he found a clipping about a guy called Poon Lim, who was a shipwrecked sailor in World War II, uh, and he spent about 120 days on a raft during World War II because he kept trying to flag down ships. But everyone, apparently it was a trick used in World War II. People would see someone on a raft and then they'd get close. They'd go to rescue them and, and a, a mine or a submarine would get them, basically. Mm. So he was human bait. So they assumed he was human bait. So he couldn't get anyone to stop for a, wh- a long time. I guess he was eventually rescued. Um, so the he had the idea. So basically he has the main character, Gulliver Foyle. Who is a or gully foil or gully as he's known, and he's kind of a he's a real uh, lunkhead. Basically, he has he's described as having basically no drive. He grew up in the you know harshest poor districts. You know he doesn't have any uh, any learning. He's barely literate. Um, mm. 
and uh, he speaks in the uh, the gutter speech, which is uh, yeah. sort of I don't know. Uh, it's not quite like the Hulk, but it's sort of yeah. it's yeah. got uh, uh, undertones of that. So like, uh, um, yeah. uh, I'm Gully Foil, me. Yeah, I'm Gully. I grew up, I, I'm I'm gonna kill you, is all. He <laughs> says is all after yeah. things. Yeah, it's 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 an early. I mean, I was doubtful it's the first attempt to do this but it's one of those early attempts to do kind of the firefly-esque uh you know ca- yeah the, the like uh um well i know. i guess uh, uh ink sock from 1984 would have predated this right ink sock was created by the government though for a specific yeah. purpose yeah um, this is more like oh, not um, Inksock, um uh, uh new speak new speak sorry yeah new speak from in in right by ink sock was the government yeah, sorry exactly. yeah um uh, I mean, other examples are uh, Burgess's uh, language in uh, Clockwork Orange, which is later, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there, there's other examples, but this might be, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, one of the that, early... That's that's an interesting question. When did people start to sort of make up Patois? I mean, people were literally doing it in reality with stuff like, um, uh, what's the what's the fake uh, international... Uh, uh, Oh, uh, fake international language. Sorry, that they oh, one, Esperanto. One Esperanto. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's been a few attempts, and of course, there there were codes and things. Like uh, that. Yeah, and of course, uh, Cockney rhyme slang. Cockney rhyme slang. But see, those are you see that? Yeah, Cockney rhyme slang is funny because it feels like somebody just went out of their way to be an ex- the most extravagant form of slang they could come up well, with. Well, the the idea is to make it so other people can understand what they're saying right. so they can get away with crimes or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly, which is kind of funny. But yeah, this is one of the first examples I can think of where it was done in a science fiction uh, novel. I'm not going to say it was the first ever, uh, but it is interesting. And then, you know, you mentioned 1984. Those are both post-World War II mm-hmm. novels. And I do think there is that division in science fiction where you see ideas going in different directions directions after World War II, and I feel like that might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly because of people had gotten a bit more cosmopolitan after World War II, and they'd been exposed yeah. to more cultures, maybe? I don't know. Makes sense. Just a just a theory I'm tossing out there. Anyway, um, so this story is um, uh, about... Yeah, it's yeah he's bit- marooned in space on, mm-hmm. his, on his spaceship, the Nomad, and um, uh, another ship called the uh, Vorga uh, yeah, approaches, and he, he signals for help. Uh, but the Vorga just leaves without responding. Right. And he gets it in, like, he just suddenly is enraged. Right. And he suddenly just, like, a spark goes off in him, and he suddenly gets drive and ambition, but it's all just to destroy the ship and get revenge on everything. Right. Uh, so this becomes his driving passion, so he manages to to uh, engineer an escape for himself, and he, like, just sort of becomes so driven that he just yeah. forces the world to conform to... Yeah. To his plans for revenge. Yeah, it's it's an it's always an interesting idea that I like, the idea that um, you know, people can have bad motivations that can, you know, turn them into better people in a weird way. Yeah. Um and, and Golly Foyle is a bad person. Yeah. Like he's he's a piece of crap. Yeah. Um uh you, you know, I I he rapes somebody in the story. Like right. it's uh, he murders yeah. people. He lets people. He lets his friend die at one point, or leaves mm-hmm. her behind. Anyway, and he becomes better over the course of the the novel. Yeah, but we're still left with that sort of ambiguous, you know. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. A lot of the the his personality in the in the novel is sort of civilizing from right. savagery to yeah. 
to society and then beyond that. Right. So. He is the tiger that we yeah. mentioned. And I mean, it, it literally starts with the idea that he has nothing, that he's not, he, he, he just sort of sleepwalking through. Yeah, he has no prospects. He has no drive or ambition. He, right. He's just. And being marooned by the, first he's left in space for, what is it, six months or something? He's yeah. There. He's, and he's literally, he's on the ship that, do they ever mention how the ship was destroyed? I can't even remember. It was, I mean, there's a burgeoning war. So I think Oh yeah, what, yeah. It was the outer planets. Uh, right. The Outer Planets uh, destroyed it. They do explain that later right. on. And uh, he, he's basically, he they, was able to... They start- actually, uh, yeah, they actually, um, this is spoilers for the end, but we spoil things anyway. So yeah. um, it's revealed later on that uh, uh, he was actually uh, marooned far away from his ship, uh, like thousands of miles, and he was set up as a decoy uh, so that other ships would come in and uh, they'd uh, be destroyed by the Outer Planets um uh fleet but uh he managed to to jaunt back to his spaceship right uh, over a distance that uh uh has never been done before right and 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 i mean at that point it was but he doesn't know he did this no he yeah he's he's sort of forgotten everything that happened but at that like his his sojourn on the ship is him uh Basically, he, there's only one little like it's a ship exposed to space, uh, and there's basically a supply closet that's still sealed, and he can have air, and he has to keep he has to basically live in there, and then duck out for a new air pump every so often, mm-hmm. or an air tank, and uh, reload it, and he just keeps doing it over and over again. Yeah, and, there's lots of womb and imagery in this book. <laughs> that's uh, right. Yeah. It's I mean it's very unsubtle uh, that mm-hmm. he gets reborn. Uh, right. repeatedly right. and so he goes through different stages in his development right right and then uh, so and yeah he's he's basically after the Vorga abandons him he he's so driven that he uh, he manages to sort of basically fire up one of the ship's engine on a very in a very rough way which blows him into the asteroid belt he gets found by the uh the scientific people which is sort of obviously supposed to evoke the idea of a shipwreck sailor who washes up on a on an island and the natives take care of him that yeah, was obviously the but, idea but uh, the scientific people the idea was later used for Dr. Who's story i think i'm oh, not yeah? sure if it was a direct reference but uh oh i bet a, it was <laughs> a ship crashed and uh there were two groups the uh the survey team and the technicians who became the serva team hmm. and the tesh <laughs> okay. uh, who uh, had no idea what you know that they were from a spaceship or anything they right. just sort of cargo like i said cargo cult versions of what they had what their jobs were before right one of the companions leela is actually from the serva team so oh leela I, yeah. I know leela yes yeah i, I know she became a, a and it was companion. all the doctor's fault of course <laughs> the original sh- crash uh he was traveling backwards through time and caused it or something yeah no, no he, he like he was involved in that adventure so they have him as like the their devil character oh okay so that's a, that happens a lot in doctor who he's always being yeah uh, this is one of the early versions of that i think <laughs> well anyway so he's yeah but the important thing is with the scientific people when he's with the scientific people they kind of obviously they have to take any stranger in to you know keep their numbers up and to keep their genetic material mm-hmm. from getting too inbred but uh, they also tattoo him they with, tattoo him yeah uh, with uh basically tiger stripes yeah um, and also the word nomad from his spaceship written on him. Right, because they assume that's his name because it was written yeah. on the ship. And uh, 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 at this point in the future, tattoos are not done anymore. So uh, mm-hmm. this is, makes him stand out when he gets back to society. Right. And uh, yeah, so he's seen, and that's sort of an early symbol of, yeah, he's this you know brutal wild man and anyone who sees him you know freaks out for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um He's eventually, uh, you know, and powerful forces are out. You, you Early on, you realize there's kind of a conspiracy around him, and there are these powerful people. There's a guy called Dagenham who's a, uh, he's kind of a fixer for uh, 
Basically, he works for Prestain, right? Uh, yeah, but he sort of has his own motivations. Right. And he's, um, again... Uh, Dagenham. He, yeah, Dagenham. Yeah, he's kind of a... This is a good example of the kind of weirdness in this book, because he's radioactive. Yeah. Um, he was due to an accident, and it doesn't kill him, uh, but apparently it makes him constantly radioactive, and he can't hang yeah, around Yeah, he can any- make flowers wilt by yeah. touching them. And-, and he can't be around anyone for very long, and he's described as glowing faintly green uh, when it's dark. Um apparently Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen might have been based on him or inspired by him in some way. Oh. I haven't found any confirmation on that, but I've uh, seen that theorized. I mean, I think that was even... In 1956, that was a very common trope of just a radioactive... Yeah. Uh, but, I, and remember, Bester wrote for superheroes, so yeah, he would have... But uh, I've seen that theorized, so right. I, I I don't know one way or the I other. I think... But. After World War II ended, and of course the atomic bomb, I think the just people went nuts with radiation and radioactive mm-hmm. stuff. And I think by the fifty by nineteen fifty six, I think radioactive man would have been not old hat, but it would have been all the rage. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't give him credit for, but it, but the way he describes it is almost like he has a disease, and he's almost yeah. he's like he's a walking contamination. Mm-hmm. It made me think. If you want to think of things that were influenced by it, he kind of made me think of Blight from Batman Beyond. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and there's also if you've ever read the comic, um, uh, the Manhattan Projects, uh, they're uh, no. all it's all the real world scientists, but they're turned into these crazy alt universe fantasy figures. And one of them, uh, Dahlgren, I think his name is, and he was a real guy. Um, and he's described as having suffered a radioactive accident that leaves him having to wear a suit all the time. And he's basically a, a walking energy source. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so that might've, again, Dahlgren was a real guy. So I almost wonder if that was a reference to that, but anyway, um, but Dahl, uh, Dagenham, uh, Locks him up in, um, what's it called? Joffre Martel. Yeah. The, the uh, um, prison. Uh, yeah, one's, yeah, Joffre Martel. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, does that mean anything? I forgot to look that I up. I don't know. Uh, what I do know is, like I say, this becomes a bit of a riff on the Count of Monte Cristo, and he's... Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo is uh, Edmund Dantes. He's locked up in the Chateau d'If, uh, which is a par- that's obviously paralleling that. It's this sort of it's the place where they put people to forget about them forever, basically. The, this uh, prison island. Yeah, apparently, uh, Bester wrote or did initial work on this when he was in England, and apparently took a lot of the names from the uh, UK telephone directory. Right. <laughs> yes. That's so right. there's characters named Sheffield and. Uh, yeah, uh, Dagenham is a is a name of a, a town, I think, and mm-hmm. and Yeovil, um, uh, um, Yeah, so there a lot of them are just sort of right. Yeovil. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this, who's the this the sort of spy master. Uh, yeah, Yang Yeovil, um, who's an important character as well. It's basically Prestain, Yang Yeovil, and uh, Dagenham are always sort of competing with each other to foil foil yeah. and uh, to uh to sort of uh to get hold of him because he knows where this secret uh uh bit of uh macguffin called pyre e or pyre uh, uh which was on the ship was yeah the e's silent uh, so it, it is pyre but it's a capital e because it's energy yeah i can't uh, say that though yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did they in the in the the audiobook they just, they said, just pyre? said pyre and they they the text does explain that uh, there's a capital E there, so yeah. I picked it up. Sorry, I read an audiobook for this one, so yeah, there's yeah. some uh, textual. Uh, Adam showed me some of the uh, pages later on when he's tripping, when uh, Gully is tripping out. There's some mm-hmm. uh, interesting uh, effects. Yeah, yeah, effects of how the text are arranged on the page. So I, I missed out on that. The narrator just sort of uh, 
did them in funny voices. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just a case, you know, at, at the end, uh, it starts to get, you know, a little, it's it's showing he's experienced synesthesia and he's actually jumping around through time. Apparently it's the first, uh, one of the earliest, at least, uh, descriptions of synesthesia in uh, fiction. Oh, really? Does he call it synesthesia? I can't remember. I I don't know, but it's it's described like he sees colors and right, right. like feels, yeah. Right, that's a real condition that some yeah, people have. But apparently it's pretty accurate, so that, that's interesting. And it's it's just it's a it's it's a you know, the walls of reality are crashing down at that point. He's traveling yeah. through time as yeah, well. Yeah, he, he learns to jaunt through time yeah. uh through desperation. Yeah, there's there's some really uh you know, it's it's a bit of a two thousand one esque uh climax. And also uh uh he uh ends up uh sort of Going back to certain points in his life and mm-hmm. leading himself to that point right. that he's he's at. So uh, right. it's sort of like that's done a lot these days, but it, it right. might be one of the earliest examples of yeah. that. I don't know. It's a it's a is that a bootstrap paradox or is it uh, just you know it's it's the whole thing of you know it had to happen because I went back came back from the future and yeah. made it happen. But like a, as recently as like the latest season of Star Trek Discovery did a right. similar thing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's almost this again. Don't want to say it's the first example of it, but it kind of feels like it might be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't say. know. Um, now it's old hat, but it was probably pretty wild in 1956. Um, but anyway, yeah, the the thing with um, him as he, after he escapes from uh, the prison with the help of uh, the unfortunately j- named Jizbella McQueen. Yeah, who's go- goes by Jiz. It's <laughs> goes kind by of Jiz. Um, and, uh, they, uh, but she helps him break out and, um, that he gets his tattoos removed. But, um, because of course, as, as Phil says, uh, Philip said that you, you can't always, uh, in the future, they don't remember how to give tattoos and remove them, but he's able to remove them. This yeah. This is also doctor. was written before lasers were invented. So they didn't have that. Techn- right. They didn't have laser removal because they didn't have lasers. Right. They probably so, didn't even know if yeah. that was a thing so, you could use for medicine. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, in this well, in this case, it's just the practice is so out that it's sort yeah. of weird. And it's like plus- it makes sense in context, yeah. but it also makes sense that he didn't know that yeah. you could. But it's also it. a black market doctor too. You yeah. can almost put it down to that as well if you want. Oh, there, but, there's a lot of explanations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but some he, of the science, like there's a reference to the USSR, I think. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's like right. I think briefly, so there's yeah. some stuff that they didn't predict correctly, oh, but yeah, uh, a, a lot, you know, a lot of it's left vague enough that you could. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, again, it's it's sort of it, it jaunting right off the bat makes you go like, yeah, guys, we're not being, we're not seriously trying to predict the future here. It's yeah. just it's just a creative creative fantasy but, fancy uh, world. Like you said, it but, does it does uh, think through the implications of a lot of this stuff. So, uh, right. One example is women's rights have regressed, uh, at least in the up, upper classes, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, like Victorian levels, right. like even uh, past, you know, further back than uh, what they were in the 1950s. Right. Because uh, uh, women are sort of kept kept in behind labyrinths and yeah um yeah it's, yeah which becomes a plot point because yeah. there are a number of female characters in fact uh almost all the female characters in this book are driven by that to an extent yeah the, the idea doubles of, the double double standard yeah right which like, they they call it that like Gisbella becomes a thief and a and a and a safe cracker and a and a I don't know what you call it, like a, a but a, a, a bandit because she just wants to say, "Hey, I'm not. You can't confine me to a room, basically." Mm. And, and then, the other major uh, uh, difference in terms of the overall society is that uh, race is largely 
not a thing. Like yeah. in terms of uh, uh, country of origin, because you can go to any country you want right. immediately. So like, uh, there's a character named Yang Yorval who's Yovo, sorry, Yang Yovo, uh, who's Chinese. And there's some unfortunate talk about how all the spies in the future are Chinese because they're so yeah. good at it. Right. But also he's. Like he doesn't look Chinese. Yeah, he, he doesn't look Chinese. Says. He's described as looking like a Native American, or more like a Native American. Right. Uh, because uh, everybody just travels all over the place, and so there's he's of Chinese descent, yeah. and he has Yang in his name, but he's you know not like a racially Chinese person as we right. would see it. And one of the major uh, characters is uh, black as well. Yeah, um, and, and she's not treated stereotypically. It's extremely... For 1956, it's not what you would she's expect at all. She's treated terribly by the text, but it, that doesn't yeah. seem to be because of her race. But. No, yeah. Unfortunately, she is... Uh, sexually assaulted by yeah uh, the main Gully, character that is, yeah that, that, that's that's very unfortunate um it, but it's part of the it, it. yeah it's he is i mean he is clearly a bad guy like it's to show how bad he yeah. is yeah i'd but argue at the same that, time it's not like we don't get a detailed descriptions of it because it was the 50s so yeah it's implied right yeah than no no it's it's more than like yeah she the actual event is implied but they directly refer to it later so right. It is unfortunate, you know, nowadays in 2019 that you're like, oh, great, that was necessary. Um, but, you know, so it's... it's and sort it of is hard to root for this guy, you right. know, not that you're really rooting for him at this point, because he's... Or ever. Yeah, at, at any point. Yeah, well, but it's hard to sort of follow him knowing that he's, he's yeah. a rapist. Yeah. Well, one, well, that this goes... I mean, you know, he's literally supposed to be practically a Neanderthal at the beginning. Yeah. Um, that's one of the, the things... Uh, the reason I was bringing up the tattoos, they get removed... Uh, but the acid he uses to remove it, uh, basically, he ends up with a network of scars, which uh, you can't see. But if he gets passionate, they start to flat. The blood makes them flash red. So he has to learn control to blend in. Yeah, and uh, that's because, part of what civilizes him because right. he he you know he practices yoga and all these uh, calming techniques, and he becomes very right. able to hide this in public. Yeah, he goes through a series of things. There's also the fact that he gets hold of all this money from that was being carried on uh, the Vorga, or rather the Nomad, um, and uh, that makes him rich, and then he, he poses as this uh, foppish rich guy in yeah, order Yeah, Formile. He changes his name to Jeffrey Formile, which uh, Dagenham, literally Dagenham at one point is trying to sort of psychologically break him. He puts him into a one of the things he does is put him into a fantasy world where he's a rich, powerful uh, man and said, isn't this great? Wouldn't you like to help us give us this information? And he, he's just so fixated on the Vorga that he breaks out of it. But it clearly stays with him because later he changes his name to Jeffrey Formal, which was his name in the fantasy. Yeah. And starts living That's the life of That's sort of, of um, it wasn't, person. I think, uh, I can't remember. That was like actors and things, right? It wasn't a virtual reality set. Um. I, yeah, it's a little ambiguous. I think of it as virtual reality, but you're right. 1956, yeah. it's kind of like, but well, it is definitely have... a precursor to that sort of thing. But but they 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 are able to inject ideas into his mind, right? Because they make him th early. They just torture him by making him think he's drowning or whatever. Yeah, so I'm not. So, I didn't quite get that, but uh, yeah, I it's think interesting it's, to think about that I, as an early. I think as it's a precursor to virtual reality. Yeah, it's supposed to be some kind of technology that evokes a specific. A delusion or a, you know a hallucination that they can control so mm -hmm. i i don't but i think there were actors involved yeah that not... too it's hard to it's hard to say it's left ambiguous enough i mean it's a it's an entire city where they you know do psychological experiments on people basically in mexico city no less mm -hmm. um but um 
again, like things randomly happen in random cities because again, because of jaunting, every city can just be whatever they want it to be basically. Um, but yeah, so yeah, there is this whole arc that we're describing here, which is, you know, and it is clearly supposed to parallel, you know, the evolution of man as it were. And again, there's, uh, almost a 2001 Space Odyssey element of it because he starts not not quite the same way, but he starts as practically yeah. There aren't a aliens in this book. <laughs> yeah, there's no but but I mean the the way it goes 2001 Space Odyssey goes from you know the distant ancient past to you know the far future and yeah. the bizarre potential of the human species is exactly the same in this. Like he is framed almost literally as a caveman when yeah he starts. and he becomes a god by the end yeah and he becomes and he and he travels up through you know he has to learn you know he becomes a seeker and a warrior and then he has to become a you know a wealthy <laughs> yeah he has to be able to pass as yeah you know? as as really rich and he becomes uh like he yeah. runs the four mile circus mm-hmm. because uh he wants notoriety at this right. point so and he's, he's nouveau rich but then he has to learn to be a classy guy to fit in with yeah. the rich people so he can get hold of the people who because he's trying this is all his quest for revenge yeah it's driving him through the whole thing and then ultimately he he basically ends up i mean again we're going to spoil it uh the daughter of uh prestane is the one who basically has made the decision and she's basically properly the target of his uh desire. But he's already fallen in love with her by the time he finds that right. out. So And and their whole their whole relationship is the same thing. It's like he's driven towards her by both hatred and love, but it's because it's, she's giving him all this by making him want all this, basically. Mm. So it's that it's supposed to be that complex relationship. And she's even like, try to destroy me. You should destroy me, basically. Um and because she knows that'll so it's almost like she knows that's what's going to compel him to be a better person by wanting that quest and then when he finally gets it it's kind of he his final step is him realizing you know i don't want to kill you anymore basically Mm -hmm. i've gotten to this point in my life and i love you and i don't actually want to destroy you anymore because Mm -hmm. i've gotten i've gotten all the to where i am and then because the pyre turns out to be the key to uh, jaunting. So jaunting is not able, you can't jaunt in outer space. Uh, that's a crucial thing. You can only do it on a planetary surface. So they still have spaceships and stuff, obviously. Um, but it's discovered that with the pyre, uh, it can provoke a reaction in your mind that will allow you to super jaunt, basically. Mm-hmm. Pyre uh, also is a uh, hyper flammable, not flammable, but explosive substance that is triggered by psychic impressions. So you have to will it, you have to want it to blow up and direct your mind at it to blow up and then it causes like a super nuclear explosion. Right, and so, you know, and then he's thrown through time and space and and other dim- well not other dimensions literally but it, again it's it it felt a lot like 2001 the end yeah, of 2001 it, gets, it does Space get Odyssey. trippy yeah that's a good point um and he's of course as you say goes back to because he, he kept he kept seeing a vision of a burning man appearing to him throughout the story and that turned out to be him from the future being thrown back to all these various mm-hmm. points in his life well i mean it was clearly him with the tattoos but like right. he didn't know what where it was coming from and right yeah, he thought it was some kind of... Well, he thought it was a hallucination, but it was clearly someone there because yeah. he leaves a fire when he goes, and at one point he literally helps him by And tackling. other people see it. And, yeah. Uh, but he thinks it's his guardian angel for a while, and mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, there, there are also psychics in this story, right. but not There's... very many of them. <laughs> uh, that False psychics are apparently really rare in this universe. 
there is one character who we've mentioned, uh, the black woman, uh, Robin, uh, who is... Wensbury, uh, yes. Wensbury. <laughs> I didn't want to try to pronounce that name again because I screwed up last time. But, yeah, um, yeah she's a um, one-way psychic. She can only transmit thoughts. So she's got the worst aspects of it without any of the benefits. Right, yeah. Um, but then it does... It kind of comes in handy for him, basically, yeah. later, because she becomes his advisor, basically. And she also uh, uh, ends up setting off some of the uh, pyre, which just causes, ma- tr- triggers uh, mass explosions, all random explosions all over the Earth. Right. And then the, the, the big master telepath, uh, Sigurd Marsman, is that his name? Uh, who, they, who he finds on Mars. Uh, I, I didn't write that down, but yeah, he's a... Yeah. He's a wizened old kid. Yeah, he's a he's a I I mean I think the idea is he's a seventy year old man, but he has the brain of a child. Yeah, so. uh, and, but and it's the a, a body like they, they kept him. I think my impression was they sort of, um, I don't know the the way they raised him. Like he didn't grow above yeah. a certain height, and he's uh, he has the brains of a child, like you said. And he's, right. Yeah, I think it was it might have been deliberate, but although but he mentions that not all telepaths are like that, so yeah. I don't know. Um, um, but I got the the feeling they were keeping him that way so they could control him. Yes, the governments. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Or the Martian government, I guess. Um, I feel like we should mention at this point, of course, if uh, you've seen Babylon Five, you'll know that there was a telepathic character played by uh, Walter Koenig named Alfred Bester, uh, which okay. was a nod. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was a it, it was it was probably a nod more to his other novel, The Demolished Man, which is about a secret society of telepaths mm-hmm. that are shaping Earth society, which is what the character is part of in Babylon 5. Yeah. Um, it was almost too cute to call him Alfred Bester. I think it sort of tipped their hand almost a little too much. Uh, and they also used the little symbol from the prisoner. They say, be seeing you. And I okay. mean, he was he was just kind of swiping from everyone to create that character in Babylon 5. Uh, oh, there's there's a, there's a lot of ideas in this book. Uh, yeah. There's one part where uh, one of his, his targets, he finds out the captain of the ship that he, uh, uh, the captain of the Vorga, mm-hmm. um, and... But she's uh, been, uh, once again, a female character who sort of, uh, in this case, pretended to be a man. To, right. Uh, but uh, she's uh, gone into a, a sort of cult, I guess. Yeah, of, it's effectively a monastery. Yeah, a monastery that, on Mars that um, uh, basically, uh, I can't remember. It's well, you named, cut off all neural sensations. Yeah, so it's you named can't... after a real monastery yeah, Sky- from... <laughs> it's Skyot. C or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that, that believe that uh, that sex, that sexual desire was uh, the root of all evil, so they would close themselves off to that. But these took it further, so all nervous sensations are uh, the root of all evil. So they uh, just have an operation to have their nerves right. severed from their brains, so they're just brains. Yeah, all the people who he finds from the Vorga are all, like, they're clearly all racked with guilt. Yeah. Uh, they were, I mean, among other things, they were, they were supposedly f- saving refugees, but it was a, it was a scam, and they were, you know, basically stealing all their stuff and ju- dumping them into space. Yeah. Uh, basically, they, they'd be hired, you know, they'd get money to transport them, but then they'd just right. send them off into space, and that's why they didn't pick them up. Right. So L- Lindsay Pierce was it? Was that her name? Um the the woman who was Oh, the, uh, the captain. uh Lindsay Joyce. Joyce, right. Uh she was the uh captain of the 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 Vorga who and, disguised uh, herself as a man because right. women couldn't uh in right. this society because of the It was it was frowned on. Yeah. yeah. Uh but she but yeah, no, but it's clearly meant to be like 
basically because of guilt, uh, she mm-hmm. entered this monastery where she could just, you know, cut herself off from the world, like the ultimate uh, monastery, essentially. Yeah. Uh, which to me, and so he literally has to hijack a telepath to get at her like he yeah. wants to have revenge like he, but how yeah. do you get revenge on someone who can't feel anything or see anything or contact you in any way whatsoever yeah so he kidnaps the telepathic child and mm-hmm. and brings him so he can threaten her right uh but then he finds out that it was actually his yeah his, yeah um there's also uh there's man there's there are so many ideas yeah, it's, just it's packed very, into this book it's a very like, uh, organized read. religion has been banned Right. Uh, you can still believe in God, but you can't practice in in an or- organized way. So there are uh, what's called closet Christians, seller Christians, seller Christians. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, who uh, practice a sort of um, multi-faith version of Christianity. There's also right. like rabbis there and things. Yeah. Uh, so they go into into basements right. and just sort of practice, and they're they're considered like low lives. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean that is after all what would happen with early Christians as yeah. well. Like that was what he was nodding to, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, I I I do like the the implication that you know uh, they're just sort of in this society they're considered just scum yeah they're the 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 even even gully looks down on them yeah they're the they're the the uh you know the dank underbelly of the world are the, yeah. the christians who do stuff in their, in their basements basically there's also a group of people who want who get diseases intentionally right yeah there's it's he it's and it, this is only like a 250 large book it's a 250 page book with large type yeah uh, it's not a big book but he's just every chapter is just packed full of world building yeah. and crazy ideas, and it's it's really fascinating read. Um, one of my one of my faves, actually. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and as I say, for 1956, it's surprisingly ahead of its mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I went into this not knowing what it was about or anything. I intentionally didn't look into it beforehand, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of interesting ideas. Uh, like we've said, some problematic elements that uh, <laughs> definitely uh, are something to look out for if you're if you're sensitive to that sort of thing but uh it's a really interesting read for how influential it is and just how many ideas it packs into such a small space yeah it's it's a good model to base your writing on i think if you're going to do that because it's literally every every chapter tons of world building but then it gets right to the point of the plot yeah and and it's uh yeah that um i believe the the introduction by neil gaiman he was talking about how uh um, a lot of science fiction dates really quickly because you're trying to predict the future and all that, right. you know, obviously. Cheap but, profit, like Cheap yeah, yeah. would say. But in this case, the whole story is is basically Gully forcing the universe to conform to his will, mm-hmm. and that sort of uh, make, gives it somewhat of a timeless quality in some ways because it's it's all the drive of this one character. Right. He's, he's the one who's causing everything to happen, and he's the one who is sort of... Um, yeah, it's just an int- stamping his will on the world. Yeah, it's almost int- uh, not Pilgrim's Progress, but it's you know everything's a reflection of his you know his journey forward, yeah. basically. Um, and you know, and it does rereading it, it does feel a bit like he's coming up with uh, uh, 
it feels like he's coming up with ideas almost on the fly. Like he'll drop mm-hmm. it in like on the chapter. He needs it in some ways. He won't really set it up. Best yeah. Way. Um, but, uh, not as I don't mean that as criticism. I just, it means suddenly he'll be, Oh, by the way, this crazy thing is also oh, happening. Yeah. You know? yeah like, by the way, there are psychics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which uh, the, makes sense considering yeah. teleportation works with psychic. Yeah. Anyway, he, he, fa- he did set up the jaunting. That's something he sets up in advance. Everything else is kind of like, Oh, by the way, uh, there's a, guy living on mars and he's a you know oh by the way that you know there's this there's this monastery that cuts off their nerves yeah exactly yeah he kind of just it shows up by the way pyre you know (laughs) anyway um so shall we wrap it up okay um well that's all once more for another fortnight this has been adam prosser a brutal tiger of low cunning driven by revenge and philip rice the burning man following through space and time Thanks, as always, to our most scientific producer and engineer, Alex Ross. And the theme music is by Jack Furick of House Rock and Rolla. Until next time, remember, the man who seeks revenge should dig two graves, because you never know when time travel might get involved. <laughs> Good night.